Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your gospel, your uh, good news um, about your son, about all that you've done in and through him. Uh, we pray that um, today as we look at this wonderful part of Paul's letter to the Romans, that we would learn about um, truths of your gospel that would give us great assurance, lasting assurance and hope. We pray that you would help us to receive these truths deeply, uh, to meditate on them through the coming week and to be changed by them for the rest of our lives. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Paula. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Well, greetings to three separate churches this morning, Trinity Church at Mount Barker, at Allgate, and of course, Victor Harbour. And also hello to anyone uh, joining us from elsewhere, perhaps even interstate, perhaps even my mum. Happy Mother's Day, mum. I'm sure I'll call you later this afternoon. Let's pray as we look at these four amazing verses. Our Father in heaven, thank you that you've given us your word so that we know how to live and we know what's in store. Please give us the assurance we need through these verses. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you been engaging in any panic buying lately? Uh, I hope not. I'm sure the good people of South Australia don't stoop to the level of you know, people in other states. Uh, perhaps you saw the clips on the news, you know, not only the empty shelves, but also the verbal spats between shoppers, people snatching rolls of toilet paper from each other, you know, not even giving each other a single uh, packet, even though your trolley's full of the stuff. Uh, I saw a photo of a Woolies employee being comforted by a customer. Uh, she was in tears at the time, presumably overwhelmed by the attitudes and actions that she was witnessing. Well, in South Australia, of course, we're a little bit different, not, not quite as bad. Um, you know, our panic buying was more clever. Uh, we thought if at some point you can't buy it, you'll be able to grow it. And so all the Bunnings stores sold out of plants and vegetable seedlings for all those people thinking ahead. Uh, I heard about a fodder store in Coromandel Valley that sold out of an order of 120 chickens in just 45 minutes, live chooks that is. And so now there's a whole bunch of people in their community who have more eggs each day than they know what to do with. Do you remember what Prime Minister Morrison said about all of this about a month ago? And I quote, There are no issues with Australians' food supply. What there is an issue with is the behaviour of Australians in supermarkets. Just stop it, he said. Well, what do you think? Is he right to talk like that? And what do you make of his use of the word behaviour? Maybe you're thinking, yeah, the behaviour was disgusting. Or maybe you thought, I just don't know if a prime minister should be trying to sound like an old school teacher. Well, today we're looking at the idea of no condemnation. It's a passage in Romans 8. It starts, there is now no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. So it's not just the topic of condemnation. It's the topic of no condemnation. That sounds good, doesn't it? Because we don't want to be in trouble. We don't want to be in the bad books. And we certainly don't want to be condemned for our actions. In fact, we're quite good at rationalizing our actions, helping people to see that there is good reason for the way that we're acting, that actually maybe my actions, maybe they were bad, but they weren't as bad as the other person you can see here. We want to be in the right and we want to be seen for it. No condemnation sounds good. But no condemnation also has, it also hamstrings us a little bit, doesn't it? Because we like to condemn others. Those rat bags in the eastern states, what kind of adults fight over a buying toilet paper in a supermarket? And as we see people around us acting poorly, we're quite capable of pointing it out. And we can be quite skillful at elaborating on other people's poor behavior. Surely somebody who hoards toilet paper has a few screws loose. You see, I can even criticize someone's intelligence or their reasonableness as part of my package of polite condemnation. I hope you can see where I'm going with this, that 99% of our condemnation is, well, it's blatant hypocrisy. In the words of Indian writer Amit Kalantri, I have no idea who he is. He's probably really, really important. But he said this, in the matter of your mistakes, you defend it like a lawyer. In the matter of others' mistakes, you act like a judge. Or American writer John Mark Green, who says, the self-righteous scream judgments against others to hide the noise of skeletons dancing in their own closets. We don't like judgy types, the self-righteous person, the nagging do-gooder, people who condemn others, even though that's what we often do ourselves. Or maybe you condemn yourself, not in a balanced, reflective, humble kind of way, but in a struggle over your own worth. You find it difficult to remember that you've been created by the God who loves you, who will always love you, created in his image. You're of eternal value. Maybe, you know, you want to beat others to the gate. You feel like, you know, they're, they're going to condemn you, so you might as well get in first and say things like, you know, I'm not that great. I was, I was bad here. I'm bad there. I don't know. Whatever the specific case is for you, I wonder if you agree with me that... As human beings, condemnation is a big issue. We don't want to be condemned. We really, really don't. And if others are going to do it, maybe we'd rather do it ourselves. Or, you know, I might just shoot back a little bit of condemnation of my own because I know it hurts them. And of course, where, do, where does conflict come from? We desperately want to be in the right and we want to be seen for it. And yet, if we're honest, we know that we are sinners. Sin is a real problem in the world. If you need a trivial example of sin, just think of panic buying. You know, it's motivated by a not-so-wonderful combination of fear and selfishness. I just can't imagine that my hoarding might, you know, cause someone else's starvation. You know, I live in the West. Someone is, someone's got a job to fix the problem, whatever it is. Of course, in some of our neighbouring countries, our near neighbours, uh, government rationing of rice and other staples has literally been a lifesaver 
in the face of the sin of panic buying. So maybe it's not so trivial. Sin is, is not itself a trivial issue. It's not an outdated issue, even if the word is a little out, out of date these days. Our whole world is caught up in sin and its effects. It all flows out. And the Bible tells us that God loves the world and is deeply grieved because people have acted selfishly. Maybe we don't like the sound of the commandments. You know, thou shalt not do this and thou shalt not do that either. And so we can find ourselves actually sitting in judgment over the rules themselves. But surely you don't actually think that the, the things prohibited in God's law would actually be good for us after all. A little bit of stealing here and there, you know, maybe, maybe that could help here or there. A little bit of murder, a little bit of lying perhaps. You know, what if I really, really want what other people have got? Maybe that can help, the, help things tick along. Maybe that's kind of how capitalism works. And maybe, you know, it doesn't matter if, if it means breaking up the odd marriage or the odd family here or there. These laws are given by the one who made us to help us avoid the things that will mess up our lives. The sort of things that will cause society to disintegrate, sometimes slowly, sometimes not so slowly. He knows us better than we know ourselves. What does it mean for us to be made, to be created beings? Well, it means that there is someone, a creating being, who has a purpose for our lives, a reason for creating us, an aspiration for us. And the Bible tells us that what he wants for us is infinitely greater than anything we could even think of wanting for ourselves. Get your head around that. Oh, I don't know. I think I just want a comfortable house and a nice family. A bit of peace and quiet. God says, I can do better than that. Uh, I don't know. I, I want life to be fun and adventurous. I don't ask for much more than that. God says, well, you ain't seen nothing. Our problem is that we can't even imagine what life in the world would be like without sin. We settle for a much, much, much less than that. We settle for a kind of harm minimization goal. I'll take these things in life and then I'll try and insulate myself from anything that might take them away from me. And that'll make me happy. Maybe it's my house or my car, my lifestyle, my job, my family. It's not much to ask, surely, just for a little bit of private happiness. That's all I ask. After all, we know that we can't do anything about all the big stuff, the wars and the pandemics and the climate degradation and global poverty. We, we, we can do our little bit, but we can't fix anything. So, you know, not much point getting too excited about that stuff. Let's just keep our goals set off to the side here because even if we you know all cooperate we still can't do it and what's at the heart of this what's the reason that we can't fix those things do you know what that what it is you know what the problem is and this is not my answer this is the answer of the scriptures the answer of the book of romans actually the problem is not a lack of human ingenuity 
there are lots of big brains around and you put a few of those together, I'm sure we could do a lot. The problem is in here. It's sin in the human heart. Jesus said that that is where our problems come from. He said, love God with all your heart, all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And it's kind of hopeless, isn't it? Because we can't even love our spouse with all our heart or our mum with all our heart, let alone our neighbour, let alone God. We are just so easy, so naturally um, selfish, self-centred and self-righteous. And so what God does, the glorious creator, sustainer of the whole universe, what does he do about this? Surely he condemns sin, calls it out for what it is. He gave us his law for our flourishing. We broke it. We scorned it. We ignored it. We celebrate others who scorned it. We keep on breaking it. We, we find, and we look for other ways of flourishing other than God's involvement in our lives. And we try to justify our actions, condemn others, but justify ourselves. We don't want to hear God's view of our actions and our attitudes. In fact, we might as well live as if God doesn't exist. We might, we might believe he exists, but we'll just live as if he doesn't. It's certainly going to, we're certainly going to live as if he doesn't exist. Well, what is God going to do? He's going to condemn our sin. Surely there will be much condemnation for the sin of the world, for your sin and for my sin. Surely that is where our sin goes. But no. Our verse says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. God loves you. And he wants you to have a way out of this terrible quandary. He wants you to be free from this problem. The law of sin and death, as Paul calls it in his 2,000-year-old letter, it's a form of imprisonment. But there is a different law, the law of the Spirit. And we'll hear more about that next week. That law gives us liberation. And it all happens through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. We condemn others. We condemn ourselves. Lots of condemnation. We deserve God's condemnation. But he doesn't want us to have it. God's condemnation is not about his posturing or playing games. God's condemnation is deadly serious. It is his upholding of justice in the universe, making this place a meaningful universe. Bringing good and right consequences on evil and bad. The right consequence for those who break and ignore and ultimately scorn the law of the creator, the right consequence is uncreation or death. And you and I 
should face death. Not just the expiring of our bodies, but the casting out of our spirit from God's presence for eternity. We cast him out and we expect not to be cast out by ourselves, cast out ourselves. The deprivation of life in any sense, the separation of our souls from everything good, it sounds pretty serious. Jesus' word for this, we know it well, the word is hell. Is that a bit over the top? Well, according to the Bible, the most horrendous injustice in the universe is to scorn the Creator. It's more evil than anything else we do. In fact, our day-to-day sins, the things that we think are, you know, maybe this is serious, maybe that's not, weigh it all up. Our day-to-day sins, they all flow from this upstream, much more serious sin. And we think that for some reason, you know, God should just get over it. Forget about it, God. Can't you see my good side? Last week, our family was driving down Cross Road in Adelaide uh, toward the Fullerton Road intersection in Urbray about three minutes before, three minutes after, actually, the big crash that you may have um, heard about in the news. What we saw as we rounded the corner of that intersection was devastating. If Ali hadn't been held up in the supermarket, we might have been in that intersection when that 20-year-old man drove at 100 kilometres an hour on the wrong side of the road, through the red light, smashing into cars and leaving carnage and death in his wake. And now he's been charged. Not just two families grieving, but the whole police service, because one of their their bright lights was caught up in that. Our whole community wrestling with the suffering and the question, why? How does this sort of stuff happen? The investigation is underway. There will likely be a court case, and so we don't want to preempt any of that. But one thing is for sure. In these circumstances, people want some kind of consequence. And when we're honest with ourselves, we feel that there is no consequence that could probably that could really match the pain that is caused with that kind of event. Justice certainly isn't served if we just you know, grieve and then, and then forget about it, move on. Actions have consequences. And friends, our actions before God have consequences. The Bible doesn't beat around in the bush. It tells us we deserve God's condemnation. But it also tells us that God doesn't want us to have it. We deserve it, but he doesn't want us to have it. Maybe you can see the problem here. How can God be both just and to give that condemnation and loving that he doesn't want us to have it? How can he just ignore the seriousness of the offence? Surely it makes a mockery of a court if the judge just sort of says to everyone, hey, we should all just go out for a drink and, you know, shake hands and get on and get on, get on with things. Move on. That's not God's solution, according to the Bible. God knows us and he knows that behind all of this, we are actually enslaved to our sin. Jesus said that himself. He says, if you sin, you're a slave to sin. All of us ignore him and then as a consequence, we rebel against him. He knows that this is a humanity-wide problem, a humanity-wide mutiny. 
He knows that we want to be in the right. He knows us and he wants us to be in the right too. And importantly, he also knows that the law is powerless to justify us. That's the kind of uh, the kind of the way Romans describes it. That is to say that no one, there is no one who is exempt from this rebellion through their own law keeping or through their own good living. As Romans 3 says, there is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. A court is not going to vindicate someone who appeals to the law if you've broken the law. All the law is going to do is convict us. And so the law, even though the law is good and perfect, intending to enable us to flourish, it's given by God himself, the law actually ends up not being our friend. We, we cannot say, I was right. See, look at the law. Because even if you check the fine print and get a good lawyer, it's still going to condemn you. Verse 3 says, in back in chapter 8, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, by the fact that we're humans, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. A sin offering. Now, a little history lesson. Back in the history of Israel, God's original chosen people, there was a temple. And in that temple, there were priests. And in God's law, there were not only rules about what you must do and not do, there were also provisions for the people's forgiveness if they broke that law. And the provisions were the temple, the priests, and a sacrificial system. These provisions said that if people sinned, they could bring an animal to the temple, and there would be a solemn and respectful ceremony where the person's sins could be symbolically transferred to the animal. It might have been a bull or a goat or a lamb or a pair of doves or pigeons, depending on what you could afford. And the person, according to God's law, was then counted as forgiven. It was called a sin offering. And you can read about that in Leviticus 4 and 5. That is, right from the beginning, God knew that his people would need forgiveness. But forgiveness didn't come cheap. You know, you needed to buy an animal if you wanted to have your sins forgiven. And if you needed your sins forgiven regularly, you know, be quite a costly affair. With this background in mind, perhaps it's a reminder to us of how much God loves us. Because verse 3 in Romans 8 told us that God sent his own son to be a sin offering. You see how the Old Testament and the New Testament are connected. Jesus' death on the cross in the New Testament, it's not a historically isolated event, just this one-off strange and perhaps slightly inspirational event. No, 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 it's not that. Jesus' death was a sin offering. As it says in Hebrews, God knew that the blood of bulls and goats couldn't actually take away sin in the long run. They were more of a reminder of sin for Israel. But what that system, that sacrificial system did was it created a category sin offering and so when Jesus dies on the cross his death can be categorized for us it gives us meaning we can understand what God is doing because he has taught us what sin is and what a sin offering is 
Of course, there are many other categories that Jesus' death fits into as well. The Passover lamb, the day of atonement. He's even our priest and our our temple. And we could go on and on with the ways that Jesus fulfills those Old Testament categories. But here in Romans 8, Paul uses the category of sin offering. Verse 3, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Do you hear that? Sin is condemned in the flesh but not in your flesh. And not in my flesh. Sin is condemned in Jesus' flesh. Justice required that God condemn sin. But God's love demanded that he take that condemnation upon himself. God the Son takes on human flesh precisely so that he can take on that condemnation for human sin. Jesus lived in order to die for you, to be your bull, your goat. But not the kind of bulls and goats that you have to keep buying and bringing each time. This is a once and for all perfect sacrifice for all your sin. This is an effective once and for all sacrifice for sin. Did you also hear verse 4 that through this sin offering of God the Son, the righteous requirement of the law is fully met in us? You know what that means? It means that you are completely without guilt before God. No condemnation by God. Even though you have sinned, you are declared by God to be in the right through Jesus. Now, before we wrap up, one more crucial thing to say, particularly if you don't count yourself as a follower or a disciple of Jesus yet. I don't want to be disrespectful, but I also don't want to beat around in the bush. Don't reject this. Don't turn away from this. Don't put it off any longer. The gospel calls us to repent of our sin, turn away from it, and to put our personal trust in Jesus. And that's how we get to be counted in Christ. This freedom from condemnation is only available to those who are in Christ, according to verse 1. If this is new to you, then sure, think about it. Start reading one of the four Gospels today. Get in touch with a Christian friend or one of the ministers. Get your questions answered. But don't walk away. To put it bluntly, Psalm 14 tells us the fool says in his heart, there is no God. This is a decision that calls for wisdom, not foolishness, not just pretending that it isn't real. May I finish by by making two suggestions, particularly for those who are already in Christ, but also for others. Firstly, trust in God's righteousness, not your own for your life. Trust in God's righteousness. God's power of making us right, making people right, is more powerful than the power of the flesh to make us unrighteous. 
we possess Christ's righteousness. And this is, this is extraordinary. This should transform our whole view of ourselves. It gives us a completely new identity. This is now who we are. We are innocent before God. We are those who are free from condemnation. And if God is not going to condemn you, then who else can condemn you? Being certain about God and about our future. That, that's what we call assurance. And it all boils, assurance all boils down to this, that God's righteousness is more powerful than your sin. If you've been struggling with a particular sin or just feeling hopeless about sin or being you know, doing the right thing, perhaps you need to dwell on this verse, verse 1. Speak it to yourself every day if you have to. Pray it back to God if that's helpful. His righteousness is more powerful than your sin. Secondly, my second suggestion is start fighting a winning battle against sin. Our struggle against sin is not a losing battle. If you're still under God's condemnation, then it is a, it is a losing battle, isn't it? I mean, how you know you struggle against evil in your life, your whole life, and you keep on fighting, but all along you know that it's losing because it's going to separate you from God. Well, that's not the battle we fight. All along we know that our sin is dealt with, and so every day is a new day. His mercies are new every morning, as the Bible tells us. There is now no condemnation. You have a clean slate. And God wants you to be holy like he is. And all of this is about enabling us to flourish in ways that we couldn't imagine. He wants a human society ridden of sin. And one day it will be. And so we don't mess around with sin in our lives as if it's, as if it's not dangerous. You know, hoping that we can still get away with it because, you know, Jesus will fix it. No, we fight against it. It's actually a battle in, for the Christian life. But it's a winning battle. It might be a long and difficult battle because our flesh gives us this inclination to sin. It's just part of our humanity. But if we have no condemnation, then not even our ongoing failures and mess-ups will knock us over. We'll pick ourselves up each day. And as we'll see next week, God has given us his spirit to help us in this struggle. We'll learn some more soon. But to finish, no condemnation. That is the foundation of the Christian life. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It deals with our biggest problem in life. It gives us certainty about the future and it draws us inexorably into the arms of God for eternity. Let's pray. Our Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus as a sin offering. We thank you that my sin was condemned in his flesh. We thank you for your love and your justice, that you didn't just throw out justice, but you, you dealt with it, and you dealt with it in a, in a loving way that we, could, we, we are amazed at. Please help us in our, our lives. Please help us to remember to trust in your righteousness, 
uh, not in and not to be discouraged by our sin. But also help us to fight this battle. Help us to fight it as a winning battle, not as a, a losing battle, um, as a cause for despair. Lord, we thank you for this certainty that you want us to have in our hearts, that we can know that through Christ Jesus we have no condemnation, that in your eyes we are innocent. We thank you. Please help us to live the way you want us to live. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.